Hey, uh, before we get started today, I uh, wanted to bring just a, a brief word, uh, prayer need for, for something that's happened in our world last night. Some of you know this, uh, but uh, last evening, which would have been Easter Sunday morning, uh, six or more suicide bombers went into churches and hotels, five churches and three hotels in Sri Lanka. Um, and uh, more than 200 have been killed. These were people that were gathering to celebrate Easter like we've celebrated today. Can you imagine? I was just talking to Naroshi about it, asking whether any of her family's been affected. My wife is from Sri Lanka. Uh, we've been to some of these places that where the bombs uh, went off. And can just imagine the tragedy uh, this morning. So um, can we just pause for a moment? I know we're, we're celebrating the risen Christ, but we believe that God's light can shine darkness, shine into the darkness even there in Sri Lanka. And so let's pray that he'd do that this morning. Shall we do that? So just pause. Lord God, we just can't imagine what it's like for, for those who are suffering this morning, uh, the whole country reeling from these horrific attacks, brutal attacks, God. And we, uh, when these things happen, we, we don't know what even to think or what to say or how to feel. But uh, we pray, God, that you might step into those, those scenarios, those situations, and, and bring your hope, even in the midst of, of such terrible loss, Lord. Bring your comfort, God. But we lift up those churches, we lift up those Christians uh, who, instead of celebrating the risen Lord, are, are mourning the loss of loved ones. And so we pray, would you meet their needs and their, hear their cries today, God? And Lord, uh, in spite of darkness that we often see in our world, we know that we have hope in you. And so we pause this morning, we give thanks, and we continue to, to celebrate what e all of Easter points us to is the cross and that Jesus once and for all dealt with sin and dealt with that kind of brokenness. And uh, we pray we would see more of the risenness of Christ in our world. We pray that. Now would you meet us in this time? Speak to each heart, I pray, each person. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, uh, I absolutely love Easter, and it's kind of an odd thing, uh, Easter, because it's, like, it's like, we don't, like we know what we're going to talk about this morning. You knew this coming here, right? And for those of you who maybe you only come on Christmas and Easter, you're like, I'm not coming back to that church because they only speak about two things. You know, they only got two topics that they ever address, uh, repeating them over and over again. But I love Easter, even though we already know what we're going to talk about. And, and, and here's why I love Easter. I think Easter is the perfect time, perfect weekend for anybody who's considered or ever considered putting their faith in Christ or becoming a Christ follower. Maybe for some of you, you've attended an Alpha course, or, or you've been reading books, or attending church, or, or having significant conversation with, with a Christian friend, and you've reached the point where you're thinking, I, I think I believe this. I, I think I get it. Like, how do I seal the deal? How do I, I take the next step? And I, I think Easter is the perfect time, and, and we're going to give you a chance to do that at the end of our service together. The other thing I love about Easter is, is for those of you who, like, have two feet on the brakes when it comes to Christian faith, the only reason you're here is because someone dragged you here or promised you lunch or, <laughs> or, or, you know, there's a cute girl that you know that's here, right? Or, or for whatever strange reason, you just happen to drive in, detour into the parking lot and you're, you're in the room, whatever. 
Uh, and you're not in any way interested in Christianity, but I'd say Easter is really the best weekend for you to attend church because Easter is when we talk about the one thing that addresses or kind of does an end run around all of our objections. And, and here's what I mean by that. I'd, I'd like, even if you've never considered this or if it's not your thing, I'd like to challenge you to think about becoming a Christian in spite of the fact that you know some. You know, in spite of the fact that you maybe grew up with some, or, or in spite of the fact that you, some Christians you know are hypocrites, or in spite of your bad church experience, I want you to consider it. In spite of the fact that you had a, a college professor or teacher who, who kind of blew up the whole Christian idea for you and, and told you it was a myth. Even if that's your experience, I want you to consider it even though you've had pain in your life, you know, even though God didn't answer your prayers as a child, even though uh, something terrible happened, you lost someone you loved, and you thought, how could a good God allow that to happen? In spite of those very difficult questions, in spite of your questions, the questions that I can't answer and, and, and you may never get answered in your life, I'd like you to at least consider becoming a follower of, of Jesus because of Easter. Because Easter does kind of an end run around all of that. Here's some great news. The foundation of Christian faith is not Christians. That The foundation of Christian faith is not the, the good behavior of Christians. It's not answered prayer. The foundation of Christian faith is, is not having all our, our questions answered. The foundation of our faith is what we celebrate at Easter because Easter addresses something that there's just no other plausible explanation for. And here's what I mean by that. There is no plausible explanation for the, the church. I mean, think about this. Today, millions and millions of people all over the world this weekend are celebrating a, a Jewish carpenter who went public for less than three years. He, he never wrote a book. He never traveled probably more than 50 kilometers from his home. And get this, he never had a podcast or a YouTube channel. And yet, a, yet over a third of the world's population this weekend, including those in Sri Lanka, are gathering in his name and lift their hands and are singing songs in languages you've, you've never heard of and have dedicated their lives to Jesus. And there's no plausible explanation as to why that would happen except for what we celebrate at Easter. It's one of, one of history's greatest mysteries. Think about it this way. When I say Nero, the word Nero, some of you know who Nero is. Nero was a Roman emperor. What's he known for? You probably don't know what he's known for. He was known for feeding Christians to lions. Christians. Exactly. Historically speaking, Nero, this emperor of Rome, is now a footnote to the story of Christianity. Isn't that crazy? Caesar Augustus. Uh, Caesar was the, the first Roman emperor. Caesar Augustus was, was one of the most immensely powerful leaders of all time. And, and he did all kinds of reforms, and you probably couldn't name any of them. But every Christmas... All over the world, his name is mentioned not because of his great accomplishments, but Caesar Augustus has become a, a footnote in the story of the birth of a Jewish carpenter, right? 
Historically, we know that in the first two to three hundred years of, of Christianity, Roman and Jewish authorities ganged up to try and stomp out this Jesus movement. He, how did the church survive all this intense pressure and, and persecution? And now there's no more Roman Empire, and, and Christians are, are far, far, they're far, far, far more Christians than Orthodox Jews or, or Jews. It's a huge mystery. Now, here's what's not a mystery. What's, what's not a mystery is how religions or movements begin. Uh, this, this kind of thing has been intensely studied. There's a science around this. There are patterns to it. And generally what happens is, is there's some kind of unrest or, or sense of dissatisfaction in a city or, or in a nation, and then uprises a very charismatic leader, usually a man. And he says things that kind of taps into these revolutionary ideas, and, and these ideas kind of land with the people, and they connect with it, and, 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 and the status quo gets challenged. And, and then they introduce change, and of course, there's re- some resistance to that change, but eventually, the movement, there's enough of a movement to overturn the old way of thinking and usher in a new way of thinking. And this person, he becomes a hero and a legend and, and somebody that people look up to. And eventually, that person dies, and people say, we got to keep the dream alive. we gotta, we got to keep these ideas in circulation. we got to spread those ideas to the next generation and, and so on and so on. And this happens all the time. This is how the world gets changed. Case in point, Islam. I don't know if you know the story of the prophet Muhammad. Uh, it's a fascinating story. But before pro- the prophet Muhammad surfaced in the Arab tribes or, or nations, the Arabs, they worshipped idols. They were idol worshippers. And then one day, a young man, who would later be called the prophet Muhammad, came from a cave and said that God had spoken to him by an angel. And he began to share these teachings with his village and with his family and with the surrounding region. And apparently, he was a very gifted leader. And, and, and the movement just kind of began to grow. He had a following which multiplied. And out of that came an army. And, and with that army, he then turned the Arab tribes from worshiping you know, idols and, and being polytheistic, having many gods, to becoming monotheistic, worshiping a single god. And then in 632 AD, 600 years after Jesus, the prophet Muhammad died of natural causes, but his followers said, we, we got to keep this moving. <laughs> we got to keep these ideas alive. This isn't the end. We got to take his teachings and his view of God, and, and we've got to further it. And they did that, and and right away it got very divided, it got very messy. That's where we have the Sunnis and the Shiites. It goes right back from the beginning of their faith. But but in spite of that, Islam became a world religion. It's a fascinating story. But it's a story that you can kind of track. You can follow how it, it came about. It makes sense how it emerged. You see this pattern in the rise of, of religions and ideologies and, and other movements. Um, think of the civil rights movement and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I I love Dr. King. He was an extraordinary leader. Um, Mine and his lives only overlapped for five days. I I was born five days, and five days later, he was tragically assassinated. But but Dr. King had this dream. Remember the dream? I have a dream. Had a dream. I had a dream. I'm not going to try, because I'm not black. But... I would if I could. But he had a dream that, of racial equality that, that caught the imagination of a nation 
that suffered great unrest in this area. And that dream and those ideas and that movement lived on after his death in 1968. It's a a wonderful story. It's a fascinating story, but it's a story we can understand. It makes sense. Now, when you take that pattern, which we see over and over and over again all over the world, and you try to transpose that over the story of Christianity, it just doesn't work. It just does not explain the rise of Christianity. And here's the thing. We know it rose. We're here, aren't we? (laughs) Right? We know a third of the world believes in Jesus. We know that that just a handful, a tiny handful of Jesus' followers somehow survived the first century, that survived the Roman Empire, that survived Judaism, and multiplied to the the point nearly 2,000 years later, here we are. We know what happened. It's undeniable. The question is, how did it happen? Because the how doesn't match the paradigm normally used to explain the rise of a, of a big movement or change in culture. And the reason it doesn't fit, it, it, and, and the reason it doesn't work to view the rise of Christianity like we view the rise of any other movement is this, Jesus' message. His message was the problem. You see, Jesus did not advocate for any kind of revolution or liberation at all. That wasn't his message. It wasn't, let's start a revolution and let's turn over the status quo and and do something new. Every once in a while, people would try to pit Jesus against Rome. And do you remember what he would respond with? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. They'd say to him, you talk of a kingdom. Are you trying to start a new kingdom? And Jesus would disappoint them. He'd say, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom's not of this world. To this point, when Pilate, the Roman governor, was was trying Jesus, he came out to the people and he says, I can't find anything to accuse him of. He's not a revolutionary. And then in terms of Judaism, every time they they tried to trap Jesus or, or corner Jesus, Jesus said, I'm not trying to overturn Jewish law or Jewish standards. In fact, Jesus took the Jewish law and actually raised the standard. So there was no talk of insurrection or liberation. In in that sense, Jesus wasn't a revolutionary at all. The the other problem with Jesus' message was that Jesus' message was all about Jesus, right? This this totally sets him apart, and, and this was the primary problem because he never asked his followers to trust in his ideas. Never once did he say, put your trust in these ideas, put your trust in these principles. Instead, he taught his followers to trust in him. This is, this is the problem. This is what makes the rise of Christianity entirely unexplainable, except for the very thing that we celebrate this weekend. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to me. One day, Jesus and his, his guys were uh, outside of the city of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi had been renamed, actually, in honor of the first Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. So they're talking about the city, and Jesus says, we know about Caesar. He says, who do people say that I am? And then he says to his followers who are there, he says, who do you say that I am? And this is very important. Peter responds with, I believe you're the Christ, the, the son of the living God. I, I believe you're the Messiah. And Jesus didn't in that moment say, whoa, 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 let's not get carried away there, Peter. This is getting a little out of hand. Jesus said, you're right. 
And not only are you right, Peter, you, you didn't come up with that on your own. God told you that. That's a problem. When, when Jesus first walked into the public eye, John the Baptist was, was baptizing in the Jordan River. You might remember the story. And John the Baptist looks up and he sees Jesus. And, and here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, behold, the one who's going to explain to us the, the Lamb of God who will one day take away the sin of the world. He, he, he doesn't look at Jesus and say, behold, here's the person that's going to explain to us how we can be forgiven. He, he looked at Jesus and he said to the crowd, behold, that guy, that guy right there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the problem with Jesus' message was that they weren't about ideas. Jesus' message was about Jesus. He was the center of his own attention. He, he placed himself at the very center of what he came to talk about. I mean, one day Jesus gets a word from some friends that his, one of his best friends was sick and, and about to die. And a messenger comes and, and, and on behalf of his sister Mary and Martha and says, please come to Bethany because Lazarus is sick. And Jesus does something that I'm sure if this didn't happen, <laughs> they wouldn't make this up because it actually makes Jesus look really bad. Because Jesus says, we're not going to go yet. And, and he waits till Lazarus dies. And then he says, now we'll go. Now, now who, who'd make that up? This is one of those stories, John, who wrote this down, he, he's probably going, I, I don't know if we should put this in there. I mean, the miracle's great, but how do we explain Jesus who says, no, let's wait? You know, let's, let's wait until, you know, my close friends, Mary and Martha, have their hearts completely broken. You know, let, let's wait a, a, until they're completely disappointed in me and their, their brother's, brother dies, and, and then let's go. And they show up, and Lazarus is buried. He, he's, he's in the tomb, and Mary and Martha come out to Jesus at separate times, and they say something to Jesus that, folks, you've probably said to, to God at some, in some way in your lifetime. They said, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, you were late. You didn't answer our prayer. And what Jesus says next to these, these friends is extraordinary. He doesn't explain to Mary and Martha what life after death is like. He doesn't say, Mary and Martha, let me explain to you about the resurrection. Let me explain how resurrection works, or uh, here are some hopeful ideas, inspiring ideas that you can hold on to, and, and someday you can share these with friends and so on. <laughs> He didn't do that. Jesus looked at each of these women he loved, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, I, I'm not just here to tell you about it. I'm not here to explain it to you. I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say the one who believes in my ideas, the, the one who believes in my parables, the one who believes in what I teach. He says the one who believes in me will live. The, the problem with Jesus' message was he kept talking about Jesus. He, he was at the center of his message. Uh, you know, one day uh, he's having a conversation with his followers about God and about his heavenly father. And uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a funny story to read. You're, you get this idea that, that they're really getting confused. And, and eventually the disciples say to Jesus, like, Jesus, you've lost us. Could you just show us the father? 
Could you just do that for us, God? You know, Jesus? And, and then Jesus, instead of saying, okay, let me give you another word picture as to what God is like, or, or let me explain what God is like, Jesus says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. This, this is very important, especially if you've dismissed Christianity or, or you've walked away or you're kind of in that place where you're reconsidering. Never once did Jesus or any of his followers indicate that Jesus came to leave us with a collection of insights, you know, uh, or principles or ideas to pass on to the next generation. His message wasn't liberating to a, a group of people. It, it, it wasn't revolutionary, and he didn't try to start something new. He just kept talking about himself. So here's the thing. When Jesus died, their hopes died with him. When Jesus died, there wasn't one person who was sitting or standing at the foot of the cross saying, well, that now our, our leader's dead. Let's, let's take his teaching and, and kind of keep it alive. But because Jesus was so much at the center of his teaching, there was nothing to pass on to the next generation. There was no teaching that would have made sense of, of the death of Jesus. The moment Jesus died, his message lost all of its credibility. When Jesus died, unlike any other leader that we celebrate, when Jesus died, the movement died with them because he was the movement. He was the message. He was the center. center. It wasn't about principles and, and parables and ideas. It was about Jesus. In fact, it's so interesting that even before Jesus' crucifixion, his closest followers abandoned him. It, it, it's quite something when you think about it. Um, the very people who brought us the story of Jesus present themselves as cowards in the story. If you were going to write a story fictitiously, you don't write yourself in the coward. As the coward, you write yourself in as the hero. When you watch uh, a movie, you don't identify with the coward in the movie. You identify with, with the hero, right? But the very people who brought us everything we know about Jesus all admit, um, all admit when Jesus was arrested that they ran away. You got Peter, you know, the one who, who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living, living God. Peter's standing outside where, where Jesus was being tried, and somebody sees him and identifies him and says, you're with Jesus. And not only does, G does Peter in that moment not say, he's the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter says, I never knew him. <laughs> they, they lost faith. When, when Jesus was arrested, they, they, they thought it was over. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. As one scholar put it, there were no Christians at the foot of the cross. There were no Jesus followers after the, the crucifixion because messiahs don't die, and Jesus claimed to be a messiah. Son of gods can't be killed, and Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Resurrection in life, you know, can't be crucified. So the mystery is, how is it that we're here today, along with a third of the, the world, still calling on his name and claiming that Jesus is Lord? How is it that this crazy movement that died when he died survived? Well, we have this little thing called Easter that changes everything. Why do we get excited about Easter? Here's how it unfolded. Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, and you got to remember, this is Sunday, and Friday, they'd crucified Jesus. Two men had wrapped his body with linen and placed it in a tomb. And the women knew that if men had done it, it probably needed to be redone. <laughs> so the women show up at the tomb, and 
wondering what they're going to do. How are they going to be able to, to move this stone away that sealed the tomb? But we're told that the, the women arrived at the tomb, and this is very important. I've said this many times. In the first century, women had no credibility. They had zero credibility. They couldn't give testimony in court. Women were considered to be unreliable witnesses. So let me just say this. If, if there was any way for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to, to somehow tell the story of the resurrection and get the women out of the story, they would have done it. You know, because the fact women were the first people to find the, the empty tomb, it, it, it discredited their credibility. So do you know why the, the gospel writers, writers tell us that women were the first to discover an empty tomb? Because women were the first to discover an empty tomb. That's the only reason they would have written women into the story. I would have written women into the story, but that's where you live in a different day. I would have done it. Right, hon? I'm trying to get some points here, guys. I'm married. Just to roll with me here on this one, would you? Early in the first day of the week, we, we read, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This was John who is telling us this. And she said, they've taken the Lord. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Do you know why this is important? Because Mary Magdalene didn't go running to the disciples and say, he's risen from the dead. You think about this, outside the tomb that Easter weekend, there was no countdown clock. There was no all-night prayer vigil. They weren't lighting candles and standing there waiting, singing and anticipating the resurrection of Jesus. Nobody, not one of his followers were standing outside the tomb waiting for Jesus' resurrection. The people who brought us the resurrection story admit quite honestly that when Jesus died, they thought he would stay dead. So when women found an empty tomb, they, they didn't assume a resurrection. They, they assumed somebody had stolen the body. So they go running back to the disciples and they say, somebody has taken the Lord. We don't know where they put him. Luke tells us how the, the men responded to the women, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I just want to say this probably describes some of your marriages. Just there, just saying... feel like it's the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. <laughs> Any credit's gone. So when, when they came, <laughs> I know, I know, walking home, you know, sleeping on the couch, all that jazz. Oh, where was I? I really. <laughs> so, thank you. That's, you're awesome, dude. So when they came running out to the men saying the body is missing, here's what the men didn't say. The men also didn't say, praise the Lord. It's a resurrection. They listened to the women. They said, you're crazy. You must have gone to the wrong tomb, right? No wonder we don't allow women to testify in court or something like that. So, so we read that Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. 
And then check this out. John, John finally gets up his courage and he goes into the tomb. And then I love this. He saw and believed. You know, you know when John, who had been following Jesus around for three years, finally believed? It, it wasn't the teaching. It wasn't the miracles. It, it wasn't the crucifixion. It was an empty tomb. Jesus' followers re-engaged with the message of Jesus, not because of the message of Jesus. Jesus' followers re-engaged because of someone they saw, Jesus, the living Jesus. This is so fascinating that, that after Jesus rose from the dead, suddenly these cowards, these men who, who did not expect their resurrection, these men who had, had ran and hid, they fled the scene, they now went boldly into the streets of Jerusalem and began to preach and teach. But they didn't preach and teach the, the, the principles of Jesus. They didn't preach the, the parables of Jesus. They didn't even preach and teach the love of Jesus. The book of Acts tells us what happened after the resurrection, and it says they went into the, the streets of Jerusalem, and they basically had a four-point message. And point one was this. You killed them. You killed them. That's a, the that's a way to start a morning sermon, wouldn't it be? But he was speaking to the people who had been there, who, who'd been there, who, who a few weeks before had, had shouted in front of the crowds, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The disciples spoke this to the, the very people in the very city where these events took place. Not a hundred years after the events, but like days or weeks after the events. To quote one preacher who, who summed up their message, it was this, four parts. You killed him. God raised him. We saw him. Say your story. <laughs> that was their message. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now repent of your sin and say your story. In, in, in one of his messages, Peter said, uh, this is Peter who, who fled, Peter who denied Jesus uh, he, he quite boldly says this. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. In, in another message uh, fairly early on in those first few weeks, uh, uh, the people were told, the people believed their message. They believed Matthew. They believed Peter. They believed John. And they finally said, what should, you, what should we do? I mean, you're right. We killed him. We believe you saw him. There just are, are too many people running around the city claiming to have seen the resurrected Jesus. What do we do? And Peter replied with these words, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, this, the, the reason that this is the best weekend for those of you who have been considering becoming a Jesus follower, just doing the deal and saying yes to Jesus <laughs> the reason this is the best weekend to finally decide, you, you know what, instead of just kind of hoping that things kind of work out in your life, instead of just kind of relying on yourself or, or trusting in whatever kind of coping strategies you have for making it through your life, instead of what, what you might call DIY, do-it-yourself living or do-it-yourself religion, if you've ever considered that you might need to put your weight, the, the weight of your life... <laughs> and your brokenness under one, what Jesus did on your behalf, this is the weekend to do it. Because the, the resurrection of Jesus solves this massive historical mystery. How did the church survive? How did the, the movement begin? How did it carry on for 2,000 years? How is it that a third of the world's population now call him Lord? 
And it wasn't because he had good things to say, where there was a group of people who thought we got to keep his ideas in circulation, because when Jesus died, there were no believers. When Jesus died, the movement died. And what re-engaged his followers wasn't his teaching, it was his resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only solves the mystery of the rise of Christianity, more importantly, the, the resurrection of Christ Jesus punctuates the point of his crucifixion, which is forgiveness of sins. This was about as revolutionary, by the way, as Jesus ever got. His, him liberating us from the, the enslaving power of sin, from the powers of our very own brokenness, our fundamental pride that we can do it without God. And by doing so, Jesus opens us up to a whole new life with God. So here's what this means for us. It means if you're a Christian, you have this hope, and this hope is not in vain. It means when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, it means there is a resurrection, and it means there is life. It means you can count on it in this life, and you can count on it in the next. As we said last Sunday, it means that that we who were once outsiders and enemies of God are now welcomed into his family. Not only insiders, but members of his family, which is the ultimate security for life. Having God who, who will never fail us. The resurrection means that also that the, the ones in this life who you've lost and you've loved, if Jesus told us the truth, you'll be re- reunited with them one day. And do you know how we can know that he told us the truth? Well, as someone once said, if, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. <laughs> and you got all these Jesus followers, you know, Matthew and Andrew and John and Peter and James, Jesus' brother, who are on the other side of the, the resurrection, and they say, we believed, and then we didn't believe, d- didn't believe, and now we believe again not because of what he taught, but because we saw a resurrected Jesus. This is why no matter how bad your your church experience has been, no matter what you saw in your Christian home growing up, no no matter what you've seen in terms of the hypocrisy of of the church, no matter how many unanswered prayers you've, you've had, no matter how disappointed with God that you've been, I would say to this, I'd say, this to you this Easter weekend, you should give Jesus another glance. Not because of of what he taught, but first and foremost, because he claimed to have died for your sin. And, And then he rose from the dead and he was seen by those who knew him best. The book of Acts tells us he was seen by more than 500 people. And the people who re-engaged with his message after the resurrection, most of them died, this is very important, not for what they believed in, A lot of people do that. They died for what they believed they saw, a resurrected Savior. So if you've been on the fence, or if you've been kind of on the sidelines and you've been thinking about it, you've been considering, I I would say there could be no better time than now, this Easter Sunday. And I'd like to invite you to follow me in a prayer, a prayer that where you can simply express to God that you believe that Jesus is God's Son that you believe that when he died, 
Yes, he died for the sin of the world, but he also died for your personal sin. Uh, and now you're, you're going to transfer your trust from whatever you're trusting, you, you, you know, your life in, whatever you're leaning into in, in your life, you're going to transfer all your trust from you and those things to, to trusting to what Christ did on your behalf, placing your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. The Scripture tells us, and, and the New Testament writers tell us who knew him, tell us, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in his ideas, no. His teachings, no. Whoever believes in him or trusts in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we know that not because he was a good teacher and not because he was crucified. We know that because he was raised from the dead. And that's why Easter is the greatest celebration on the calendar of Christians. I'm going to invite the team to come on up, but as they do, um, I want to cycle you back to that, that Lazarus story. As I was praying for you this morning, uh, I, I remembered this part of the story, and it's when Jesus actually stood in front of the tomb, and Lazarus, we're told, is buried, is in the tomb. And what does Lazarus, what does Jesus say to the tomb? What did he say to, to Lazarus? Come out. Come out. And Lazarus comes out. The dead becomes alive. And I sense Jesus wanting to speak that to some of you this morning. He wanted to say to you, come out. Take the step. You know enough. You got a hunch that this is right. You, you, you don't have all the, the answers, you know, the answers to your questions. You don't, you, you, you got some hurts, you got some pain. And Jesus is saying, come out. He, he's inviting you. He's saying, come, you know, follow me. I'm the resurrection and the life. I know things about life. I am the life. And I want to participate in your life. I want you to enter into my life. So if you're ready to take that step, I'd invite you to pray with me. And if it helps, you can bow your heads and you can close your eyes. Uh, you might want to say these words out loud or you can say them quietly in your heart. But as I've been speaking here this morning, if there's something inside of you that says, yes yes to Jesus, then I want to encourage you to follow that leading by the Holy Spirit and give your life to Christ. Would you, would you pray with me? Would you simply say, and, and again, you can say this quietly in your heart, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that when he died, he died for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead and was seen. And in this moment, I place all of my faith in his death on the cross as the payment for my sin. Jesus, come into my heart. Welcome me into your family. I love you. I'm grateful. And I want to spend the rest of my life as a follower of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning for the opportunity again to, to consider and celebrate this wonderful news of the resurrected Jesus, the news that uh, is the only news that can kind of explain the church, explain why we're here today. But it's even better than that. It, it makes forgiveness and new life and a relationship with God possible. And, and, and Father, I pray this morning for those who, who today, this was their moment. This was 
was their occasion that you would seal this in their heart in such a way that they'd never forget it. And that this would be the moment that they'd look back on for the rest of their life and say, that's when I became a follower of Jesus. And, and, I, and I pray for those this morning, Lord, who maybe made this decision many, many years ago. And, and you want to just remind them that they're still yours. Their hope hasn't changed. The hope in the cross and the resurrection and what Jesus you've done for them is something that they, they're meant to hold on to and live out of. It's meant to be a security for their lives, and I pray you'd make that so in a greater way today. We pray all these things in the wonderful name of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You probably wanted me to end, end uh, my sermon, but you probably didn't want to stop singing. That's my hunch. <laughs> wow, what a great morning. God is so, so gracious to us in Christ. And uh, let me... Uh, we invite you, as always, on a Sunday morning, if you have a prayer need, we, we have a team of people who would be, love to pray with you after our service. We have refreshments, coffee, tea, those kind of things back there, but let me leave you with these words of benediction. Since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Because of our sins, he was handed over to die and he was raised to life in order to put us right with God. And so, may the God of peace, who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, provide us with every good thing we need in order to do his will. And the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And finally, go in peace as witnesses of the risen Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Happy Easter, everybody.